0: Welcome to Deutsche Bank's Horizon Scanning podcast, where we unpack the emerging threats and opportunities that our economies face. My name is Dan Hunter, and today we are gonna be discussing what electric vehicles means for the future of two of the greatest car-producing nations. In the European corner, we have the might of Germany, which is without doubt the current king of automotive excellence in engineering. And in the other corner, we have the challenger, America, the world's largest economy, and the home to the might of Tesla and the automotive giants, and is also the world's leader in software, which is key to electric vehicles. I'm pleased to be joined today by Tim Ricosa, one of our research analysts in Germany and also our global coordinator of automotive research. Welcome Tim. And Emmanuel Rosner, one of our research analysts in the US covering US autos and automotive technology. Really good to have you both here today. Tim, let's start with you. Volkswagen is the global leader in the EV space and European countries seem to have a big home advantage when it comes to this uh, to this race, given that you have the largest EV market in the world, I believe, last year. But can you give us a market outlook? Where are we heading from here in the European EV market?
1: So obviously, touching on a very hot topic here, right? Most of the investors that we talk to do ask themselves exactly the question that you just raised. And that is really, can the legacy car makers pull it off? And especially, can the German legacy car makers pull it off? Because those are the ones that traditionally really dominated, not necessarily the mass market, although VW happens to be the largest car maker in the world as well, together with Toyota, but specifically in the premium space. That's some of the challenges when you now look at Tesla, Lucid Air, and some of the other guys are really trying to get into. We're seeing extremely strong growth rates, as you already said, on the EV space in general. And interestingly, what we specifically noticed over the last six to seven months is that when the legacy car did bring out their dedicated product lines, like it was the case with the so-called MEB, the modular electric architecture of VW, for example, they happened to be quite successful. VW launched this platform in September last year with the ID3. They already sold close to 250,000 cars. BEVs, battery electric vehicles, last year. It's always important when you talk about electric cars that you differentiate between plug-in hybrids that have a small battery that you can recharge already, but that only goes between 40 and 100 kilometers range. So that's what, like 20 to maybe potentially 60 miles on average, as well as a BEV, which is a battery electric vehicle. So really a car that has no combustion engine, but a fairly large battery and can go multiple hundred miles or kilometers just on electricity. And you notice that VW is is pretty strong obviously when it comes to EV sales, but specifically with this BEV platform that they have now launched, they also start to become quite competitive. And they will probably sell about 600 to 700,000 BEVs this year. And Emmanuel can touch on that in a second, but that will probably put them relatively close to the global BEV market leader, which is Tesla, that has dominated this market over the last couple of years, and now increasingly sees some challenges coming up from other car brands. What we like to do is we look not so much at Germany, because as you say, it's a large market, but the leading EV market in the world is actually Norway, that already has 60% of cars being sold this year being fully electrified and the reason for that is taxation largely a couple of regulatory issues but what you see in that market is that as soon as you have a fairly competitive product in terms of range acceleration and cost obviously and taxation plays a big role on the cost side of things in Norway customers are starting to think again about alternatives to the Tesla products they already know. And in that market, for example, the Audi e-tron from from Audi is quite successful. Um, You see that certain other models like the Porsche Taycan are selling extremely well, despite a very high selling price, right? So you start to notice that while we're early on in the ramp up of the traditional car makers, and it took them a long time to realize that the industry is heading into this direction, they're really starting to catch up now.
0: So Manuel, with the exception of Tesla, the US manufacturers have definitely lagged behind uh, Europe, but... Are they catching up quickly? Are they serious about fixing this gap?
2: Yeah, I think, I think they are. And I think we're at a very interesting point in EV adoption for the U.S. Um, for several reasons. I would say if you just look at the demand side first, obviously starting from an extremely low base, less than 2% of uh, U.S. sales were electric vehicles last year. There was actually not that much offering, and it's really mostly accounting for, accounted for by Tesla. Not a lot of appetite from consumers for it. There's federal incentives uh, to buy cars, but the main players in that field, Tesla and GM, have already run out of them. And so just not a whole lot of boost towards that, not a lot of consumer appetite. Things are changing extremely fast. Some of it is new administration and some of the things that uh, uh, they've discussed, more help, more incentives. uh, That's starting to really make uh, an impact. But more importantly, I think it's also automaker's realization that this is the future and this is where they should steer all of their investment. And so what we're finding now is not only obviously Tesla you know, being the global EV leader uh, will probably be still this case this year and then maybe Volkswagen would be around the same uh, you know, starting next year. GM has extremely aggressive EV targets. They want to be 100% EV by 2035, a million units a year already by 2025 uh, globally. So they're really going all in on this. Ford has a new CEO that's going in the same direction. We expect a new strategy from the company probably within the next months or so we'd expect it would be very, very similar to what GM has announced. So automakers are going all in. I think the administration will change policies to a way where it will be extremely supportive. And the third point which really ties a little bit to Deutsche Bank's role in this as well is this tremendous investor appetite to make things happen. And so in addition to the established players which are going in that direction, there's a lot, a lot of startups, which investors are helping funding, dozens of SPACs in the EV space, uh, which Deutsche Bank you know, has had a participation in quite a few of them, you know, getting to capital markets. So, I think it's
0: happening all very, very fast and that was a fascinating time in the U.S. So let's talk about the government, the role of the government. as the Biden administration's proposed, uh, is it 170 something billion of EV investment? Uh, does this change the outlook really materially in the US? And, but what about in Germany? What is the German government doing to support the market? So I'll start maybe with the, the US side. Uh, so as you said, as part of the $2 trillion uh,
2: package, about 174 billion will be towards uh, promoting electric vehicles. There hasn't been much detail yet around how this will be. Um, implemented. The likelihood is that this will serve as boosting federal incentives towards electric vehicles by either uh, increasing the amount of vehicles any given automakers can um, benefit from from these incentives or potentially just you know, actually increasing the incentive themselves from $7,500 to $10,000. What this will do in the near term is probably somewhat limited because of a little bit of a lack of supply. Tesla is selling all they can. GM is in the process of ramping up a lot of the targets are very ambitious midterm but nothing that they can really move too, too much right now. But I think what this will really do is bring that into uh, consu- uh, consumers' consideration. And now, the economics will make much more sense, uh, a whole segment of the population will have uh, better access to this and I think a lot of the startups could benefit from this as well. A lot of these new EV brands, whether it's uh, Rivian or Lucid or anyone else, they will all benefit from these federal incentives and essentially make their cars really affordable and comparable with some of the competition. Um, So I think it's gonna help the midterm outlook and adoption materially in the US. Uh, In the near term, I think it's really all about
1: wrapping uh, things up and we're going in the right direction. When you think about the trends in Germany as so often, they have to be seen in context with the EU regulation as well. And what you notice, this is really true anywhere in the world, but it is specifically pronounced right now in Europe, it's a push and pull approach really. So you force the OEMs to produce these products, typically in the form of regulation, and that typically starts with the CO2 regulation. Uh, For example, in Europe, CO2 regulations have to reduce by 37.5% between 2020 and 2030. That may not sound like a lot, but it's actually a hell of a lot, considering that usually what you achieve is one to 2% per year. So we're really talking about dramatic changes on that side. And at the same point in time, um, you also start to see that the governments are happy to support the car makers. And that is usually in the form of tax incentives that can be in the form of cash incentives. In Germany now specifically, since you asked about that market, it's very strongly driven by tax incentives um, because corporate cars are quite important in Germany. So we work for Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank runs a fairly large corporate car fleet in Germany, for example. And if you do get a corporate car and you're entitled to that, um, typically you have to pay 1% of the list price on a monthly basis uh, to the government for that vehicle. So if, if you take a car that's, sort of like the the average in that fleet, that would be like a 50, 60,000 euro vehicle, you have to pay 500 to 600 euro a month to the German government. If you get an electric car, if that's priced below 40,000 euros, like the IT3, for example, is from VW that we already touched on initially in our conversation, you would only have to pay 0.25% of the list price. So you would get away mm. with 100 euros a month as opposed to 400 that you usually pay. And even if you get a car that's more expensive than 40,000 euros, but it's electrified, you have to pay 0.5% of the list price. So what happens there is people actually buy more expensive vehicles, but they end up paying a lot less on a monthly basis because a lot of the corporate car customers can afford a monthly payout and really look at it as a monthly mobility budget rather than a one-time purchase. And they can afford to not save the full amount, but only a little bit, and therewith drive a better car and sell less. And you start to notice anywhere in the world that incentives are really needed in order for consumers to adopt electric vehicles. And Emmanuel just touched on the change that we're seeing happen in the US. So what we're seeing in in the US market is obviously that these penetration levels are quite low. Um, When you think about it on a global basis, because of the incentives that we're seeing simultaneously with a push towards tighter regulation right now china is the most important EV market in the world europe in terms of penetration not in absolute size because china is a much larger market but in terms of percent of total units sold Europe will probably be the most important electric car market in the world for the next 10 years
0: so let's talk about the cultural aspects of of the consumer in both of these areas now i'm i live in america but I am British, so I look at American. Uh, I look at Americans with a kind of foreign objectivity, and I also look at Germany with European eyes, but not quite German eyes, because clearly I'm not German. When I look at Germany, it's almost like an act of righteousness to look after the environment, and you, you genuinely care about it. You're obsessed with it, and there's a kind of corporate shame within society, with people, you know, are seen as polluters or gas guzzlers. You're kind of obsessed with it. And America it's the other way around. You're kind of obsessed with style and big engines and the Ford 150 Raptors and the, the American muscle and damn the environment almost is kind of and not everyone's like that, clearly, but there's kind of two extremes. How does this electric vehicle future play into that American consciousness, Emmanuel? Because it's a very, very different proposition.
2: It's an it's an excellent question. And I think what you're seeing. Is that the first generation of electric vehicles um, was not well suited for American tastes? I say I, I truly think that that's the case. Those sort of small to mid-sized sedans that obviously look like EVs were definitely not a consideration in consumers' mind in the U.S. That is changing incredibly fast. Look at um, the reception that Tesla got for their Cybertruck. I mean, this is it looks like no other vehicle and. They got hundreds of thousands of orders. Um, GM's first electric vehicle um, is really going to be their Hummer uh, pickup truck uh, on the Ultium platform, and then a Hummer EV. They've resuscitated this brand, you know, for this. You know, Hummer was dead. Um, the first EV from Ford is a Mustang. The Mustang Mach-E, but it's a Mustang SUV. Um, so I think that the tastes you're describing are very much still there. But what that's enabling automakers to do is essentially to build performance versions of these. And so the EV adoption in the US is less driven by um, American consumer you know, willingness to be green or desire to be green, and much more by essentially getting strong performance out of it while maintaining the sort of vehicle that they actually uh, enjoy. And I think that this is truly where this product lineup is heading. And it could be quite successful.
1: I love your characterization of the the German nature of things. Um, so, well, it's obviously it is uh, it is very true. I mean, over here, recycling is very big, for example, right? So it's clearly catering to the minds of, of being more green. Having said this, when you look at cars, Germans also really like their cars and they are quite obsessed with high horsepowers as well. They also like SUVs. SUVs is by far the strongest growing category of vehicles for more than a decade now already in Europe, but also specifically in Germany. So yes, you want to be green, but you kind of really want a good car and a cool car. And I think that's exactly catering into what Emmanuel just said. You had guys like, BMW that with the i3 already eight years ago almost really pioneered the premium space with battery electric vehicles. But they thought about this as a vehicle that has to make sense because it has to be green it needs to have a recycle a, a dashboard made of recycled material a small battery because it's primarily for city usage you don't really go on the high with it. it the max speed was like 140 kilometers an hour and these kind of things right but what we realized through tesla really is the consumer doesn't necessarily want a vehicle that only makes sense and is green and boring they want a car that's really cool And that has certain features that's fast in acceleration that has a good range where they don't have any range anxiety, right? And that is something that the auto industry really has understood and that they are now catering to by providing the products the consumer is actually demanding. So if those cars happen to be electrified as well, then that helps also in the mindset of a classic German guy. It's certainly a bit of an easier sell with that, but it's a plus that caters to them, but it's, Really, not the necessity. The necessity is that this has to be a cool vehicle, equally in the US as well as it is the case in Germany. What happened with specifically the Teslas and this Neos of this world, for example, and Neo is a company we didn't touch on yet because it's Chinese, but it's, it's quite prominent as well in this space. It, it's really appealing also to a much younger generation again, right? So you started to see that younger people don't really see cars as being aspiring any longer nothing they really had to own specifically in Europe and specifically in a country like Germany with good public transportation and dense urban areas. And this is really changing now. Uh, if you happen to have a green car, fully electrified, fully connected, as we already said, seamless integration with your smartphone, also younger people really start to think that cars are cool again. So even just thinking about cultural differences, US and, and American specifically thinking or generational differences as well, you start to see that electric cars are catering to a lot younger audience and are a lot more appealing to younger people again, which is a big plus for this industry and can can create a lot of incremental demand.
0: So picking up on this range anxiety point, so two things in my mind on that. One, how is that going to be overcome? I mean, to genuinely get long range capabilities for, for electric vehicles, given that the charging stations are there or the range is not sufficient as the current technology stands? And two, what does that do to geopolitics, particularly the relationship with the nations that have the raw materials that go into batteries?
2: So, I guess specifically on the, uh, the range point, um, there is a tremendous need in the US to build a charging infrastructure. I think a big piece of what Tesla was able to address is essentially remove range anxiety by having its own network, but it's not a network that's compatible with other EVs. And so, there is really a need to build that up and there's a little bit of a chicken and the egg sort of like a problem with this. Um, part of what was announced um, in the new infrastructure bill is to build up to 500,000 charging stations in the US by the end of the decade. This will go a long way towards addressing range anxiety. At the same time, from a technology point of view, you see the vehicles coming out, uh, coming with much, much better ranges, essentially extracting many more miles out of each kilowatt hour of battery. And then with battery costs coming down, batteries getting larger as well. And so you'll have basically both of these things playing at the same time. Technology improving and therefore the average vehicle coming out with several hundred miles of range uh, at the very least, which I think is... Uh, appropriate for most use cases. And then also building up of uh, the network, which will take some time, but is likely to be promoted by the new, the new administration in the U.S. and therefore going in, that, uh, going in that direction. So it will take some time, but again, we're only at 2% adoption in the U.S. And so I think that this will support uh, you know, further, option, further adoption going forward.
1: Yeah, that's exactly it. I think um, you have basically three elements how you can overcome range anxiety. And that is you put in a much larger battery Um, That is sort of the trend right now, primarily, just because the technology is not as advanced yet. You're gonna get the Mercedes EQS in the summer of this year, uh, which is a super nice car. We were the first broker that could actually drive that car walked away from it really amazed. It's gonna have the longest range, um, from all the legacy car makers in the space, and actually also beat the Tesla's longest range that we have in the market right now. It's about 770 kilometers, which would be what well, like 480 something miles on a single charge. The second element that he can manipulate is the charging power. So there. Um, Obviously the chemistry plays a role again, uh, software plays a role because you can manage the battery temperature and preheat the battery before you drive it to one of the charging stations. For example, we see a lot of advancements there. The car that can take the highest load right now in the market is the Porsche Taycan because it has a different architecture, 800 volt versus 400 volt. You can recharge with these vehicles uh, about 60 miles, 100 kilometers within five minutes. Right, so that's very fast. And then the third element is really that Emmanuel already said as well, is to expand the charging network. That's something that a lot of people work on. Right now, it works better in the U.S. than it does in Europe because as so often, Europe is qu- happens to be quite bureaucratic. It takes a long time to get approval for these things and then build up the charging network. So that's a bit of a frustration for the entire industry. But there's a lot of capital going into this, and it is understood to be a problem. So that will also be fixed. When it comes to the second element of your question, geopolitics is is definitely a very tricky topic around this phase. Um, We're starting to notice that manufacturers are trying to avoid using certain material like rare earth material, for example. BMW built the first e-engine now without using rare earth materials. But there's also a big fight about cobalt, uh, which happens to be largely found in the uh, Republican Democratic-Republican nation in, in Africa, which is obviously quite uh, quite difficult from an ESG perspective as well, and, and does not play into the favor of the supply chain here for these guys. Uh, lithium consumes a lot of water, if you want to source that, right? so it happens to be primarily in, in South America, Australia, a bit in Morocco. There's potentially even a lithium uh, deposit that you can harvest below Germany, for example, which, depending on where prices go, may be an interesting point to consider. So it's all a bit in the movement, but it will certainly result in, in some conflicts going forward, considering where the material sits. So
0: that would that be a fascinating conversation to have, Tim. and We'll definitely come back and have the hydrogen conversation. So, gentlemen, in closing, I have one simple question for you both. In five years' time, what's happened to German automotive engineering and electric? vehicle technology and America, who is winning this race? I would say you
1: can really hardly differentiate as as, as much as we would like that for the sake of this <laughs> podcast between America and, the, and, and Germany. It's much more between the legacy car makers, so the incumbents in that space, and the new entrants. And a lot of the new entrants happen to be in the US, so you can sort of make that argument. What I believe is that we're going to see that the legacy car makers will play a much larger role than a lot of people did believe over the last couple of years and even still believe right now. If you ask me five years down the road, I wouldn't even be less worried if you to ask me 10 years down the road. I think Tesla will still be a very, very dominant player. But I also believe that we're going to see that the legacy car makers are proving that the majority of them will still be around. There will be some consolidation. But the really good guys, and now we're specifically talking about the German OEMs specifically, uh, they will still play a very large role in this global race. And they will also be as dominant on BEVs as they are on ice right now. But you will have a lot of the new entrants in the space that will also play a fairly large role. And some of the guys specifically that are more in the mid-segment that don't have such a strong brand power and can really just provide the hardware for the vehicle, I think they are the ones that will lose out. Some of them may be in North America, some of them may be in Europe. Um, but it's probably rather new versus old. Emmanuel? Yeah, I
2: would definitely agree. I think the the lines will probably not be drawn between specifically U.S. and uh, Germany. I think it will be between those that made it to the EV world and those that haven't been able to make that transition. And from where we stand here, I would say among traditional automakers, um, GM and Volkswagen are extremely well positioned to make uh, that transformation, potentially to help other automakers make it as well and serve as a platform, I think Tesla is extremely well positioned as well. Um, so those would probably be in there. I think there will be some new names as Tim mentioned. Uh, we're watching um, you know, Rivian very closely, but they have uh, their own powertrain, they have a lot of like their own technology and really strong, interesting technology. There could be others as well. Uh, a lot of them that have come to the market through SPACs and so it will be about that ability to make uh, you know, this transformation. I don't think every legacy automakers will make it, but quite the opposite. Uh, Chinese automakers could be quite, uh, some of them could be quite important as well and this is probably the market where you're seeing already now the most disruption with literally newcomers you know, taking over you know, for some of them. So I would say from where we see here, we feel pretty comfortable with uh, you know, some of uh, the traditional incumbents such as GM and Volkswagen. Um, the other ones, uh, there's a lot
0: of work still to be done. Manuel, Tim, thank you so much for scanning the horizon with us today on this subject. Appreciate it. Talk to you again soon. Thank you very much. Fabulous. Thank you.
1: Thank you.